Amen. Um, we're just about to start a new series that's going to take us um, over about 10 weeks, and we've called it the 360-degree gospel. And we're going to look at, uh, over these next few weeks, just how the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ crucified, impacts and affects every aspect of our life. So what does it look like when we face the question of suffering and suffering in the world? What, what does the good news of the gospel say and impact our lives about suffering? What does it say about justice and injustice and judgment? What does it say about becoming holy? And uh, so over these next 10 weeks, uh, we're just going to look at uh, what the, the good news message is for all of those aspects of our lives. And uh, we're going to start uh, this week by just looking at the question of holiness. So this question of, of, of how we become, once we're saved and we become Christians, how do we become more like the Lord Jesus? How do we become more the person God made us to be in the first place? How do we become more set apart for him? And what does the gospel say about holiness? Is there good news about, if you like, the battle and the struggle for holiness? Because sometimes it can seem like it's going to be a bit of a battle. And is, what's, the, what's the message of the gospel about becoming holy and becoming more like him? So I'd like you to turn, if you've got a Bible, <clears throat> to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, the words are going to come up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible with you. And we're going to pick up this passage uh, in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 10. And what the writer to the Hebrews is doing here is he's writing about the old way of sacrifice, where the priest had to go and offer sacrifices to cover people's sin. And he's writing about how that compares now with the sacrifice that Jesus has made. So we'll pick it up at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, so he's talking here about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. What the writer here is talking about and saying is there's this sentence where he says that we're, what by one sacrifice, Jesus has made us perfect forever, but we're still being made holy. Made perfect, 
but being made holy. I want us to look at a very common misconception. And there's just going to be a little diagram thing that's going to come up. I don't know if we're going to be able to see it, actually. So the background's not great, is it? Okay, well, I'll read it out to you. So this is a diagram that comes from a, a book called Discipline of Grace, a great book by a guy called Jerry Bridges. And <clears throat> what you've got right at the, on the left-hand side there is you've got, it says, birth, salvation, and death, okay? And one of the common misconceptions that Christians can have, that we can have as Christians, is that we're born, then at one day or another we hear the gospel message, the Holy Spirit confirms it in our hearts, and we're saved. Fantastic. We're saved. And then, from then onwards, until we're lowered into the ground on that last day, or into the crematorium, or wherever you're going to go, it's then discipleship, discipline, holiness, service. So you've had the good news bit. That was what got you to salvation. And now the hard work begins. And uh, it can be a, a real misconception that many of us can easily slip into. And if I asked you about whether you believed that was right, you'd probably say to me, no. But actually, the reality of sometimes how these things work out in our minds is, well, I've got had grace to get me there to salvation. The gospel was good to get me there. The message about forgiveness was great and all my sins gone and my name now written in heaven and now the hard work begins. And actually what Jerry Bridges says is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day we have to preach the gospel to ourselves, the message that, no, no, my sins are forgiven. No, I've been made perfect. Like the writer to the Hebrews says, no, I've already been made perfect. Yes, as I embark upon this desire to become more like him, not to live a mediocre life like Pete was, was praying, but to really go for it, Actually, it's in the context that I've already been made perfect. If I don't preach that gospel to myself every day, what, what that list of things becomes, and those are legitimate things for me to pursue as a Christian, but what they become are drudgery and duty. And because I will fail at them, and I will only achieve them to a certain extent, they then become condemnation to me. I dropped the ball again. I wasn't disciplined about my thought life yesterday. And condemnation comes. And condemnation then brings two things. There are two possible results with condemnation and, and feeling judged, judging yourself. One is that you try even harder and you then feel like, oh, I've achieved something. And then you get proud about that. Oh, okay, no, I was really disciplined. I got up at four in the morning. And if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself, the gospel that, no, actually, I'm, I'm perfect already because of him. If you don't do that, then either when you fail at those things, you'll try harder and pride will seep in when you achieve something, or you'll get condemned and you'll become disillusioned and disheartened and you'll give up. That's why the gospel message is something that Jerry Bridges says we should preach to ourselves every single day. Look what the writer to the Hebrews says. 
He says, we've been made perfect forever, but we're being made holy. So how are we being made holy? How, how are we being made holy? Well, first of all, the encouraging thing about sanctification and being made holy is it says we are being made holy. That means someone else is doing it. That means I'm not doing it. I'm not having to take responsibility for becoming holy. Now, I'm going to talk about what our responsibility might be in a moment. But actually, the responsibility for making me holy is his. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. Do you know what that means? It means that that list of things there that are to do with me becoming more like him and a bit more holy, that list of things there are his responsibility to make happen in me. I have a role to play, but they're not my responsibility. I don't have to struggle and strive to do those things. In fact, I can't do those things without him. Paul in Thessalonians says, it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. I can't do it. It's not my responsibility to do it. He does it. He takes responsibility for doing it. He's the one who's going to make me holy. How? How's he going to make me holy? So listen to what the writer says, what we've just read. He quotes from the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and he says this. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, about being made holy. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. I will write them on their minds. What God says is that when we come to him and we want to become more like him, this book is not a book of rules that we then have to follow. There are not external things that I have to try and memorize. But actually, the Holy Spirit, when I am saved, begins to write his laws on my mind and in my heart. He does that. And so suddenly there are things now which I feel awkward about doing that before never bothered me at all. I've told you, I think, before a story about a really lovely uh, lady who uh, Owen and I used to work with at King's called Annie. And uh, she used to swear like a trooper, and you could never believe it of her now because she's one of the most gentle women you'll ever likely to meet. But she said that before she was a Christian, she used to swear like a trooper. And the day that she became a Christian, suddenly that stopped because she just, it didn't feel right anymore. She didn't know the Bible. She hadn't been brought up in a Christian home. She didn't know that actually the Bible sort of teaches that using oaths and getting that angry is not good. She didn't know any of that stuff, but suddenly she stopped doing it because somehow it just didn't feel right anymore. The Holy Spirit was beginning his work of making her holy, of sanctifying her. And how he was doing it was not shouting at her a list of rules, but writing it on her heart and in her mind. And the Holy Spirit does that for us. He writes on our hearts how we should become holy. 
So holiness is not something that we have to strive and struggle at ourselves. It is something that he takes responsibility for and he begins to write it on our hearts and in our minds. We have to cooperate with him, but he does it. I don't know if you ever do this. This was a bit like, in a way, the prayer that, that Pete prayed. Sometimes I say to God, <clears throat> um, Lord, whatever, whatever it takes. I look at my life and I think, Lord, I really want to be like you. I want to be more like you. Whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. And I pray that with fear and trepidation sometimes. But that's not a bad thing because the Bible does talk about work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's at work in you. But sometimes, I don't know about you, I find myself praying that, God, whatever it takes, make me more like you. Sometimes I say to him, God, do that in me, whether I feel like cooperating with you at the moment or whether I don't. Because actually, sometimes we don't really feel like cooperating with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is calling us to be holy and to live a life that's a bit more like Jesus. Actually, we don't really feel like cooperating. What do we do when we don't feel like that? Well, first of all, I think we should be reassured that actually all of us go through times when we don't actually feel like cooperating with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's normal, and it's um, not something to become too afraid of, because there are periods in life, and there are particular times when you may get up in the morning and think, actually, I don't really feel like becoming more holy today. Actually, I feel a bit lethargic. I feel a little bit mediocre. That is quite normal. What should we do when, when we feel like that? Well, I think one of the things that we can do is we can go back to those principles uh, that Owen talked about last week, which were just really helpful. I thought he just served us well, so well last week. And if you weren't here and didn't hear that preach, then if there's one you want to listen to on the website, it's last week's. And there were these five principles. I don't know whether you'll be able to read them. I think they'll come up. Um, set time aside to read the Bible. Devote yourselves to prayer. Learn to worship alone. Examine your motives and attitudes. Love the church. Those principles can help us when we begin to feel like, I don't really feel actually like being holy today. But sometimes that is, in my experience, that's not just a feeling that I have when I wake up on a particular day. I can go through a bit of a season in life when I'm beginning to feel a little bit like that. One of the things that I love to do now is, um, <laughs> is to grab opportunities to talk to younger guys. And uh, you know, Owen will tell you this, even if I'm not in the church context, if I'm at New Day, my eyes are roving for a younger guy who I can talk with. And uh, why do I do that? It sounds a bit odd. Single bloke looking for young guys. <laughs> um, why do I do that? Because, see, that I think we have this, um, this cultural understanding that we have to make our own mistakes in life. Yeah? 
This is, sometimes we talk about that in the context of children and teenagers. Well, they've just got to leave, they, no, just got to leave them to make their own mistakes. No good telling them. They've just got to find their own way. They've got to make their own mistakes. Do you know, I think that's utter rubbish. I think it's utter rubbish. Because actually, if, if, if I'm a loving parent and I can see the way my child's going and what's at the end of that, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they don't go through that. And God's the same with us. See, he will have us holy. He has said, you're mine. And he has said, I will complete the good work that I've started in you. And he wants us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in doing that. But if we don't, he will do it anyway. But doing it by us learning through our own mistakes is usually his last resort. It's his last resort. Because actually what he's done is he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us this. What does it say about this? What does it say about the Bible? What does the Bible say about itself? It says that, that through this you get warnings and encouragement so that you shouldn't just read this and just let it go through your head. But actually the stories in here are written as warnings and encouragements for us. So when we read about David, whose eye wandered, it should be a warning for us so that we don't make that mistake. Those principles we've just gone through, reading the word, it means that in God's process of making you more like him and making you more holy, there's a way in which you don't have to make the mistakes that these guys made, at least some of them. How else? The church, each other. That's why I love getting alongside young guys, saying, don't make the mistakes I made. Each other. These principles that Owen outlined last week, they are God's gift to us in terms of making us holy and more like him and to become the people that he wants us to be and not to settle for mediocrity. And if we don't, then probably his last resort is to give us over to the mistakes that we're going to make. And one of the reasons why I love to talk to young guys and get in there is to say, don't make the mistakes I made. Now, God is wonderfully gracious and he restores the years the locusts have eaten. But when I look back, I think, boy, God, where could I have been by now if I'd walked with you for those 10, 12 years when I didn't? I don't mean in terms of like some, some, some sort of church ambition. I could have been Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean where I could have been in my walk with him, in my maturity, in the way he is able to use me. Do I regret those years deeply? Am I condemned about them anymore? No, because I'm forgiven. 
but oh, if I can prevent some of you making those mistakes, boy, will I do it. Giving us over to making our own mistakes is God's last resort. If you want to become the man or the woman that he wants you to be, then make the most of what he's given us. This and each other and personal devotion and worship to him alone. And if you are beginning to feel like you're in danger of that lethargy and a bit feeling just a bit, do you know what? Holiness, it all sounds like a bit, it's a bit hassle really. I'm not sure I can be bothered. I mean, life's all right. I thought Pete's prayer this morning was so apt. It's okay. You know, I don't mind. I'm all right. Life's okay. No, he didn't save you from mediocrity. He will have his way in you. He will make you the woman or the man that he intends you to be. And the last thing he wants you to do is actually to do it through being given over to learning by your own mistakes. So don't do that. Stay close. And if you feel yourself beginning to wander and beginning to become lukewarm and you're in danger of being spat out of his mouth, then return to some of these things and for goodness sake, come and talk to someone who can pray with you and who can talk with you and who can encourage you because he will have us holy by hook or by crook but he wants to do it through his word and through each other so that he doesn't have to give us over to learning these things by making our own mistakes. See, he will never ever allow me to be tempted and tested beyond what I can endure. So when I pray that prayer, God, whatever it takes, there is a sense of fear and trepidation when I pray that. But I also pray that knowing deep down that if he'd wanted to crush me, he'd have done that already. But actually, that's the last thing he wants to do is crush me. So if I pray, God, whatever it takes, I can pray that in confidence. Because he who gave his own son, will he not freely also give us all things? Of course he will. You can pray in confidence, God, whatever it takes, make me more like you. God, whatever it takes, don't let me come to the end of my life and look back with regret about the waste. God, whatever it takes, pray it. I encourage you to pray it. You won't be disappointed. There may be some uncomfortable moments. He may appear like he did with Jacob for a wrestling match with you at a time when you least expect it, but you'll be wrestling with him and he knows your limits and what you can take and what you can't. Ask him, God, whatever it takes. He is a jealous God, and the strength of feeling that he has for you is like a husband or a wife who watches their partner flirting with someone else. He is jealous. Don't think that you can get away with it forever because he is jealous and he will have you back because he loves you so much. I've called you by name, you're mine. And here's another thing. 
as I get older and as uh, I spend more time uh, being God's son, it feels like I'm getting nowhere with being holy. It actually feels sometimes like things are getting worse. Listen to this quote from a 70-year-old man a couple of centuries ago. I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness, though on a review of my life I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I've not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honour as I ought. Despite all this, I'm spared till now and I'm still retained in his work. And I trust I'm received into the divine favour through him. That 70-year-old man was William Carey. William Carey was what's described now as the father of modern missions. He went to India. He lost three wives and a number of children. He wrote translations of the Bible or parts of the Bible in 40 different languages. And as he approaches the end of his life, he says, my sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. Another old guy, this, this guy was in his late 80s and he died uh, last year, a guy called John Stott. John Stott was um, a really wonderful Christian, wrote lots of stuff. If you ever get a chance to listen to some of his sermons online, they're great. One of the humblest, meekest men you're ever likely to meet. And towards the end of his life, when he met another of his friends, he said this, if you really knew me, you'd spit in my face. If you really knew me, you'd spit in my face. The longer we follow Jesus, the more acutely aware of sin we become. That doesn't sound actually very hopeful. So you're thinking, I'm hoping that as life goes on, you know, I'm getting better and better. You know, there's this, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Pink Panther film, films and, and Inspector Dreyfus, who's the, the guy that the Pink Panther actually, he makes him go mad. He makes him have a breakdown and he's in the sanatorium and he's, as the psychiatrist teaches him this mantra, he has to say, in every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better. And uh, you think, well, that's, that's what it should be like. Surely, you know, in my Christian walk and as the years go by, I should be sensing that I'm getting, I'm getting better and better. You know, that God's doing his work in me and I'm becoming more and more holy. I should be able to sense that. And yet here are two Christians of great stature who reach their old age and they, they're saying, actually, I, I feel like I've, I'm worse. I, I, and sometimes I do too. I think, gosh, there's so much God still in me. Look at all that. My righteous acts are like filthy rags. The longer we follow Jesus, the more acutely aware of sin we become in our lives. Why is that not depressing? Because actually, the more acutely aware of grace we become as well. It's very important what you do with that, though, when you get that sense of, gosh, God, I don't seem to be getting anywhere. I mean, there's still all this stuff in me. And I realise that even the stuff that I do do for you, the stuff where I'm trying to serve you, I realise that sometimes I seem to have mixed motives for that. And I'm hoping somebody will say, oh, well done. 
and that will just make me feel better and a bit of you know, pride. And even when I do stuff that seems to be right, even when I pursue you, I seem to have mixed motives. Oh, God, is there any hope for me? The Apostle Paul said the same sort of thing. He said this. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to sin within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we do with it when we get that sense of continuing sin in our lives. I've been a Christian for such a long time. I thought I'd have some of this stuff nailed. What should we do when we feel like that? We should say, thanks be to God. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've already been made perfect. I'm being made holy. That's the ongoing process. But as far as he is concerned, I'm already made perfect. That's the good news of the gospel about sanctification and, and trying to live a holy life. That's why that diagram um, that we saw earlier is just the wrong way to view it. Because actually, I'm already made perfect. What, even with these ongoing besetting sins that I never seem to be able to get on top of? Yeah. He says, you're perfect. You're perfect as far as I'm concerned because I've chosen to remember your sins no more. Really? That's why that suddenly becomes good news because when I am still aware of the huge besetting sins in my life and it drives me to my knees again and I humble myself before him, what does it say? He gives grace to the humble. There's more grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Oh, God, you still love me. You love me even though I can't get on top of that. Yes. Oh, God, I love you. Oh, I want to get on top of that, God. That's what it does. That's what it does to a list of rules. It says to us, oh, no, he still thinks I'm perfect. He still chooses to remember that no more. Oh, God, how I want to be more like you. How I want to deal with that in my life. That's why the gospel is good news when we try and live a holy life. And that's why it's so different to just trying to follow a whole load of rules, which we'll never manage to do and will always drive us to despair. Awareness of sin is a gift from God. You know that? doesn't feel like it, God. I just... But no, awareness of sin, when God makes you aware of sin in your life, it's a gift from him. Now, he's very generous to us because he doesn't do it all the time. It's a bit like, you know, peeling the layers of an onion. He is aware of the extent of my sin, totally aware of it. But he graciously doesn't reveal it to me all at once because he knows I would be totally overwhelmed if he did. So he gradually, graciously takes another little bit of the onion off and makes me aware of a bit more 
Why? Because he wants me to feel bad? No, because he wants me to understand yet again, oh, really, what your grace covers that? I didn't even know that I was doing that, God. I didn't even know that all these years I've been thinking like that and it's wrong. I didn't even, oh, God, what hope is there? Well, actually, there is hope because there's grace for that and it's covered. Really? That's why when you are aware of your sin in your life, it's his gift to you. As long as you turn it round and preach the gospel to yourself, which is saying, oh, thank you, you forgave me for that too. All these years I've been doing that and you've forgiven me for that too. You've chosen to remember it no more. Oh God, how wonderful you are. Becoming holy is not just a result of sheer determination. Because actually, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. The only way to please him is to believe that we're covered. To believe that he can do it when we can't. That's why there is good news And the gospel is great news for us when we are seeking to become more holy and more like him. Because the the truth is we can't do it, but he can and he will. And all we have to do is cooperate. Okay, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that there is good news for us when we try and live this walk with you. When we try and become more like you, there is good news for us. And the good news for us is that you already see us as being perfect. And the good news for us is that it's your Holy Spirit who takes responsibility for sanctifying us and making us more holy and making us more like you. And he does it by graciously writing his laws on our hearts so that we don't want to sin against you any longer. And the good news is that you reveal our sins to us so that, not to condemn us, but so that we understand even more fully the extent of your grace and love for us and it makes us love you even more. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful we belong. We pray that you indeed would save us from mediocrity that you will help us, Lord, not to just wait to learn by our own mistakes, but, Lord, that when we sense that we're becoming a bit mediocre and a bit lethargic, that instead, Lord, we will come back to your word, we'll ask you to make it fresh to us again, we'll talk to others in the church, we'll find people who can pray with us, we'll do anything possible, Lord, so that you don't give us over to making our own mistakes because actually you don't intend to do, for us to do that. It's not your best for us. Lord, I pray for this church, I pray for these people, that you would give them ears to hear when you are gently convicting them and nudging them, that you'd put people around them who can speak into their lives and you'd give them the grace to be humble enough to listen and to actually even just not just to listen, but sometimes to seek out people to whom they can become accountable so that they don't have to make mistakes and they don't have to have wasted years, and they don't have to have regret. But instead, 
they would respond to the good news of the gospel when it comes to holiness. They would take you at your word and receive every good gift that you give so that they might live lives that are more like yours, that the church might be built and that many lives might be saved as a result of it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.